Good morning, everybody, and welcome to episode 175. Holy shite. 175, that's crazy. Just saying that. Just hit me now. 175 of the Quickie Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and thanks so much for being here. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to read another review. It felt good to do it last time, so I'm going to do it again. Let's see here. Uh, let's go with this one. Subject of this uh, review is 30 great minutes every time. This is a review by Tiny Takata, and she says, or he says, sorry, um, love this podcast. One thing that sets this podcast apart is that there are specific questions you can listen for. It gives it a great structure and consistency that I look forward to hearing. So much great information in 30 minutes. I'll add in 30-ish minutes. Really entertaining and really helpful. My favorite part is the chance for each designer to ask a question to the next designer featured. It's really cool to see what designers are curious about in each other. Thank you so much for the review, Tiny Takata. I really appreciate you listening to the show. I really appreciate your taking the time out of your day to leave feedback for the show. So thank you for that. So let's get to the guests. Today's guests are Morgan and Mark from Banff Studio out of Calgary, Alberta. During this episode, we talk about how they teamed up, how it all came together, how it all happened, the, the creation story, we'll call it. I like that, the creation story. They share their intros to design. For Mark, it was an album cover and CD cover that really stood out to him. And Morgan shares the logo and designer that really influenced her. Mark also shares with us about a, a packaging slip-up, we'll call it, that uh, was made and what lessons he learned from that. We also get into talking about the mental health stuff that uh, you can get hung up on as a freelancer, and they share with us the brewery project that they are really proud to have been a part of. Now, I should also say that this brewery was most recently mentioned in New York Times Travel for being a great spot to enjoy craft brews and a big shout out to the 80s throwback vibe of the brand. Mentioned in New York Times Travel. Yeah, yeah, bamf. So let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, my fantastic guests, Morgan and Mark from Banff Studio. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field, and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? Good morning, Banff Studio. How are you? Doing well, thanks. Yeah. Today, how are you doing? Terrific. Um, are you guys ready for a Quickie? Yeah, let's do it. Thanks for uh, flying us out to Vancouver. <laughs> no, it's great to great to have you here. I'm glad you can make it on yeah. such short notice. 
Yeah, you put us up in the uh, Sutton Place Hotel on beautiful Robson Street, and the suite is just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad you guys live so close to the airport, because it really only took you 20 minutes to get there, so that's good. It's yeah. almost like you were anticipating it. We were, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I always like to start with a really tough question, and it's briefly tell the listeners about yourselves. Um, yeah. Do you want to start? Sure. Okay. Um, we are Banff Studio. We're a small little design firm in Calgary, Alberta. We specialize mostly in um, hospitality and arts and culture branding. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we do a lot of identity work and packaging. Um, Speaking my language there. Yeah. Um, we, we first came together about a year ago. Well, we, we actually worked on our first project about two, two and a half years ago. We were both um, freelancers. Mm-hmm. And we were getting pretty burnt out. Um, we were taking on too much work, pretty bad at setting setting boundaries. And uh, yeah, we were just burning out and starting to question that model and how we could work more sustainably and, and smarter. And after that one successful project that we did as two freelancers, we, we started talking more seriously about um, coming together and, and starting a company. Very cool. What yeah. about you, Morgan? What's the little intro for you? Um. Well, Mark and I met, I'm going to start with by talking about Mark, but uh, we met <laughs> like uh, in 2006 or 2007 through yeah. um, the music industry mm-hmm. in Calgary. Like I was working music retail, which uh, shall not be named. Was but that it like was, A&B Sound? It was HMV. <laughs> okay, <laughs> HMV is the other one. All right. <laughs> um, and Mark was in bands and we just kind of met through, uh, through that. Music and, stuff, yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, we had a brief overlap through, uh, at ACAD, now Alberta University of the Arts. Um, Mark was first, and I went in. Um, we had a one-year overlap. Uh, but we've remained friends for a long time. Mark went away to Montreal, and then we met again through through an ACAD event, and we just kind of like remained close co-workers in a sense, but we were still freelancing, so we were just kind of like texting every day and like mm-hmm. asking questions about how to do contracts or complaining about um, taking on too much work and burning ourselves out. I was going to um, say like sharing all the wins and all the fails with each other. A lot of fails. And, uh, yeah. And I, I think, um, through our collective burnout, we thought we'd make good business. <laughs> <laughs> um, so two wrongs make a right. Two wrongs make a right. We had a, we worked on a project, um, a brewing project that, uh, we both went to a meeting, uh, with the, with our clients and they were, there were separate meetings, but they were one after the other. So they were interviewing us both for the same job. We realized that That's we couldn't funny. do it. Uh, we couldn't do it alone. So we came together, and um, after the year, the project was. We worked really well together, and we had like a a Riverside beer, and I think that's what <laughs> we got drunk, and that's what convinced us to. to join <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of the 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 back end of it. Got mm-hmm. it. Got it. Okay. So how long were you guys freelancing for before you teamed up? Um, I. I've been freelancing in, in some way, shape, or form since 2006. Okay. Um, I studied photography uh, originally through the uh, Bachelor of Design program at ACAD. So I did photography for for oof, about three or four years mm-hmm. and kind of got, I don't know, school kind of took the love out of it. And uh, I got burnt out on it and kind of jaded, and I switched back to design because I actually went to, to ACAD to study design and uh, yeah, fell in love with photography. So switched back to design in around 2010 and have been doing that. Yeah. Design pretty much since 2010, 2011. I, uh, I worked right out of school. I went into a, a studio environment. It was still pretty small, but we were mm-hmm. doing 
fairly large scale branding uh, projects for arts and culture um, and a bit of oil and gas. Mm -hmm. um, and then, <laughs> so uh, it is Alberta. I know it's hard not to. Um, it's easy not to now, but uh, and uh, so I was working for a studio for a few years, um, pretty strictly four years, and then I went on a big vacation and came back and quit during the midst of a recession because I just uh, I was uh, just like things where I was just going into work every day and kind of forgot how I'd gotten there and sort of forgot that I was sitting at my desk and it was just very um, it was very you know, routine. And it was sort of kind became of, a drone and heading in and yeah. doing it, right? Yeah, it kind of drove me a little crazy. So, mm -hmm. so to shock mm -hmm. yourself out of it a little bit. Oh, so, yeah, freelancing for maybe three, three, four years, I think. Got it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I want to kick it back even further. And maybe, Morgan, I'll start with you on this one. I want to hear a little bit more about your childhood and what that was like. And do you think that you had a creative childhood that pointed you in this career path? Uh, yeah, definitely. I had a ma like massively creative childhood. Um, my mom was an artist. My dad's a in construction contractor, so I, so it gives me a, an unreasonable amount of confidence with like um, building things or making things. Cool. Uh, and my mom used to. Her name was uh, let's call her Blathy Blurly. <laughs> <laughs> Keeping her name uh, <laughs> off the record, she used to steal art supplies from our elementary school. So we yeah. had just like closets and closets full of any kind of material that you'd want yeah. uh, and was kind of like the, the person, not unlike many other creatives, who was just drawing lots. Um, and I went to an arts high school, mm -hmm. which meant that you could, um, it was like a quarter system and you could take art in the morning and then you could take math in the afternoon, which for me meant that I could take art in the morning and then skip school for the rest of the day. <laughs> yes. Um, so I think after that, there was a brief, there's a good period, a lot, like a good decade where I just kind of went into retail, discovered album art. And uh, yeah, but, but I think that those early formative years were like, if you can draw good, you get attention. And therefore <laughs> um, that kind of set me on a path of like always wanting validation for the things that I do. Mm -hmm. Okay, so your mom's an artist, you're drawing as a kid and enjoying being in that creative environment. Mm -hmm. When does graphic design become a thing for you? When does somebody point that out to you? When do you come upon that? When does that switch get flicked? I think it was, like I said, it was similar to when I started working in music stores. And I think it is a, a very common question, a common answer that like, you start seeing album covers, and you sort of see that kind of like, synesthesia between like this album cover made me buy this which made me feel this with mm -hmm. music how is it how is there such a connection between those two forces so mm -hmm. i think it's similar for mark totally yeah it's so funny i hear that about the album cover art so many times and then i think to myself you know was it the album cover art that made me buy that dmx cd <laughs> <laughs> and i just i don't remember i don't think it was i'd be like super badass um, yeah, I want to be perceived as so hardcore blingy. with my fake Tommy Hilfiger cologne. And <laughs> yeah, so, so I mean, even bad design, like, I don't know, I was really into pavement. Um, and like the album covers were just so raw and like shitty. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is going to be so great. Yeah, so I, I feel this. I feel this. Yeah. yeah. We were, we were talking about this yesterday, like the early design that inspired us. And I mm -hmm. pulled up uh, some work from uh, 
it's either Design Republic or Designers Republic. They did a lot of like electronic music and uh, like rave style <laughs> flyers and. Uh, but I pulled it up yesterday, and we were just like, holy shit, that did not age well. I'm like, <laughs> oh, I hate that. I <laughs> yeah. totally remember being like, oh, this is what design is. Yeah, it was like, it's very designy for like early 2000s, late 90s. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, Mark, I'm going to point this one over in your direction now. Um, tell me a little bit about your childhood and how creative was yours, and do you think that appointed you in this career path? Yeah, I I don't know that my childhood was necessarily like more creative than anyone else's. Like I had the, you know, the kids imagination. I was doodling, uh, was playing with action figures, going on elaborate action figure adventures and smashing Play-Doh and making sculptures of Play-Doh yes. and stuff like that. Um, but I wouldn't say like there weren't really any artists in my family. Uh, the earliest I remember drawing was like hyper rendering chain mail and medieval <laughs> armor. And, uh, my grandmother used to, she did like, um, she was like an archivist, a volunteer archivist at the, the Glenbow. Okay. So she, she got me really into like medieval armor <laughs> at a young age. I remember drawing, drawing a lot of that stuff. Did um, you draw that thing where, where you draw the line where the bullets go? The dotted line, you know, like muscle man, and then he's shooting a gun and there's like a dotted line? No, it was pre, pre-guns okay. versus okay. swords. <laughs> yes, right. Um, and then, um, yeah, I got really into music. Um in like early junior high school. Mark was a raver, by the way. Yeah, I, got, I, I went to a lot of raves. and yeah, uh, I could see that. I kind of just explored all the music weird. You know, I was like your pretty standard confused teenager, just like experimenting with all the subcultures. But uh, I got really into music and uh, sort of what Morgan mentioned. It was the, the album artwork that I think initially got me into, into creative work, into design. Mm-hmm. Um, like... Rob Sheridan and early Nine Inch Nails graphic design, um, like Apex Twin, Bjork, like Warp Records kind of stuff. Um, I started to take some really bad photos and just kind of put really moody goth lyrics on top of them. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And then, and my high school art teacher was like, oh, have you ever heard of, of graphic design? Like, this is graphic design. You can go to school for this. And I was just like, what are you talking about? I had no idea. Uh, what it was and I shortly after that I put my entrance portfolio together for ACAD I somehow got in do you remember I do what not your know entrance how to portfolio was really moody I was listening to like Tool and Nine Inch Nails a lot so it was like very moody 17 year old kind of goth stuff <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah and I got in and so I actually ran into that art teacher not too long ago and told her that and she didn't even remember who I was, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I feel like really had a, I guess had a pretty major impact on the trajectory of, of like my studies and my life. Mm-hmm. That's cool. That's a cool moment. So it was that teacher that really sort of lit the fire when that opportunity came up. Yeah, totally. Awesome. I remember like, I remember like being interested in art and then being like, oh, but I also really want to make money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a common thing, you know, especially yeah. like in the, back in the 90s it was the it was still that um sort of starving artist talk about graphic design you know it hasn't didn't really come to life even back then right mm-hmm. so what stands out as the most influential design of your lives so far if there's something that it would be for both of you 
feel free to answer together. But if there's something different, then okay, we'll answer on the on on the count of three. That that we've done, or that that inspired us. Um, I would say something that you saw inspired you and has just stuck with you since. Hmm. We prepared for this question, but I can't remember. <laughs> I think. I mean. When you're a teenager, like you're a sponge and you're just way more you're shocked and drawn to things and influenced by things. So a lot of that, that stuff that I already mentioned, like the album artwork and, mm-hmm. and stuff, if I could think of like one thing that stuck with me that I've definitely done and used a lot throughout my design career is a Massive Attack did an album called Mezzanine. Okay. Uh, and all of the packaging was black and white. It was black and white photography. And then you open it up and the compact disc was just a flood of neon Pantone orange. Oh, wow. I just thought it was like the coolest thing. I had no idea that that was graph design or or what it was, but just this like stark contrast, really punchy color, um, that really, really stuck with me. You're Mm -hmm. like, goths can enjoy neon. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And like, subconsciously i'm like oh yeah i'm gonna steal this technique later in my career mm-hmm. <laughs> try and jam it into every project we can <laughs> yeah. basically yeah nice yeah. what about you morgan what stands out um yeah i don't i think it's the same like i think about just different points in my in my life where i was trying to find um find inspiration like starting with early album covers but you know i i do remember when seeing like sagmeister's casa de musica logo and he did like was the shape of the um the museum and uh when you rotated it it changed so it was like one of those early adaptive logos that was like had its time and i'm like whoa yeah you can do that it did it i'd never heard to me and similar with like things that bruce mao was doing and and that kind of thing that was when i was in, in school mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. got it so now though who are some of the designers and brands that you look up to and closely follow now? And what about them do you guys like? So, I mean, it's kind of like saying what your, what your favorite color is. <laughs> Cause we just, uh, there's, I mean, I think blue, designers, right? we like, shiny, it's blue. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just for the record, blue, it's the Pantone he, he, blue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, you know, we're, we're drawn to shiny things and there's always new things coming up that we really love. I think like um, a company like Fuzzco is really appealing because they managed to inject like a lot of humor and playfulness mm-hmm. in the work that is just, that feels very effortless. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, like um, in an editorial sense, anything that Matt Willie does, um, he's the art dire- was the de- art director of the New York Times Magazine. He's just like great at storytelling with simple typography, and I'm just every time I see it, I just like God damn. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think um, those two, I just uh, I just love those two. So what about you, Mark? Um, yeah, not as like hyper focused on any one particular agency or, or brand at the moment. There's a there's a duo. I think they're French, not. Quebecois uh, called Violaine and Jeremy, mm-hmm. Violaine and Jeremy. They uh, they do. I guess they're they're a design studio, so they do like they do brands, but they also have like a small little type foundry. They just do these like typefaces that are super wonky, like full of character. And um, I just 
I, I love that stuff. I'm such a sucker for it. And we, we love wonk. Yeah, we love wonky typefaces. <laughs> we started to get more into type design for for client projects, um, just doing custom type work and and so stuff like that, like Klim out of New Zealand and uh, Violaine and Jeremy are like big inspirations for sure. A lot mm-hmm. and just like pretty much every design studio in Montreal is fantastic. There's like great type design. It's just like really clean, mm-hmm. sophisticated work coming out of Montreal. So it's, that had a huge, in, huge influence on me. I lived there for about four years mm-hmm. and yeah, it's just such a great design city. It's a good visual city. Shout out to all the design all firms good. in Montreal. They're all good. <laughs> Bonjour. <laughs> um, so what brought you back to Calgary then? Um, I mean, being totally honest, uh, one of my, I lost uh, a really good friend. My best friend passed away and I kind of made me reevaluate um, just life in general. When I, when I graduated, I was very much that like, uh, I was like laser focused on making it, you know, kind of just like cocky, going to climb the ladder and, and yep. do all the best work and be the best and uh, really crush it, <laughs> crush it. And yeah, uh, I realized after a few years that um, friends and family are are actually more important. And um, it kind of just made me look at look at my life, look at my values, and and think some things shifted. Yeah, got it. Yeah, um, you guys had mentioned packaging earlier on, and I want to get into this um, <laughs> here about print and packaging design want to hear how you have utilized that in your design career so far and any stories around printer packaging that you have. Oh, where do we start? Could be stories or, or projects time, that just stand out to you. The one time I sent 10,000 coffee bags to print with the wrong weight on them. Um, <laughs> Didn't you say that you had a white oh, yeah. knockout that you accidentally sent to overprint? Yeah. So uh, I did take some design classes in school, but because my major was photography, a lot of uh, my design, early design moments were just fumbling around in the dark. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm pretty sure it was, I, I had a like black background, flood of black, put some white type on top of it, but I set the type to 0% black instead of paper and also set it to overprint and then it <laughs> printed and it was just black. <laughs> the type didn't show up. <laughs> Um, I think we're, um, I mean, we're pretty lucky we, with packaging when we, when we launched our, our brewing first brewing brand, uh, 88 Brewing Co. They, uh, we were able to get, um, a three pan, three custom Pantone label with a foil and a die cut, and a die cut uh, for a line of like nine, eight or nine bottles. Wow. So each, each bottle had its own colorway with a foil and a die cut. Mm-hmm. And that was, um, I mean, we were able to really uh, work with a, a printer friend of ours who helped us a lot because mm-hmm. we don't find that we're necessarily finding a lot of support in that arena. But mm-hmm. we had a printer <laughs> friend who helped us and uh, who worked for the company, and, and that was a, a huge a huge win for us because mm-hmm. people were asking, like, how did you convince the client to do it? And we're like, I don't know. We just didn't, <laughs> yeah. give, them a, didn't give them another option. We didn't, no. <laughs> Yeah. So. so when you say that you you know you have a hard time finding the support or you know education for la- for the label or the print side of things, what do you mean by that? Um, well, I think a lot of our clients are are smaller, um, 
mean, we've got some pretty big local clients, but on the grand scheme of things, they're not doing, you know, can runs of, you know, a quarter million. So we're constantly trying to find ways to get just like utilize inexpensive print techniques to get Mm -hmm. the best, like the best end result. Um, and sometimes, you know, we like tip over into that next tier of fancy things like Pantones, uh, things that you can't do digital or on the cheap. Mm -hmm. It's often, it's quite hard to, to convince the client that it's worth, you know, making that switch from, you know, digital label to something Mm -hmm. that's got foil and, and Pantone. Um, but I mean, we did this brewery and, and everyone was just like, Oh, I see it on the shelves. It's amazing. It pops out. And, and we've kind of used that as leverage for some clients to be like, you know why it pops out is because they, they spent the extra money and it, and, and it paid off for them. And, mm-hmm. you know, you have the option of doing that too. Mm-hmm. So do you feel that there is a sort of a gap in graduating from design school and producing really good printed packaging? Like, is there an education gap in there that you just kind of have to fumble around and figure out on your own? I mean, I, I, I definitely think so. When I worked for, um, when I worked for my agency, we were doing a ton of print work and we would almost exclusively use Blanchette, uh, printing out of Vancouver. Uh-huh. I have to say is one of the very few places that would work with us in terms of like, what happens if we do tip ons? What's going to, what's it going to look like if we take this Pantone and run it over a four color? Um, and they would be like really happy to help us experiment. So I think I kind of cut my teeth in a, in a world like that where we were flying out to do press checks and just hanging out all day and checking their samples and stuff. So I feel very fortunate in that sense that um, knowing, coming out of school not knowing anything and then all of a sudden kind of like having a, a, a crazy education about it. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, you cut your teeth on like projects where the business cards were like a dollar to two a piece and yeah. I came up from like are we allowed to spend 10 cents on a business card? Like <laughs> five cents. I um, mean, it took me a really long time to get comfortable. And Morgan's like played a, a big role in that, like getting comfortable telling clients like, no, we're not going to do that. Like we need to put some, some money into doing this right. Cause before I was just like, Oh sure. Whatever you say. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, you're a young freelancer and you're afraid of getting fired. You need to, yeah. You need to like pay the bills, so you just do whatever the client wants, and it yeah. takes yeah, it just takes years of doing it and gaining confidence and and uh, realizing that you're not going to get fired if you push back to mm-hmm. you know to to do those things. It's almost in everybody's best interest to push back because then you can <laughs> say, "See, told you." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're always waiting for those "told you so" moments. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not in like a you know rub it in kind of way, but just I like politely proving <laughs> that they were wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so now guys I got to get into the tough stuff gonna have to drag you through the mud a little bit bring up some horrible memories and talk about some of the tough times in your career so far and then right near the end we'll turn it around we'll finish in a happy place so <laughs> yeah Morgan I'm gonna start with you on this one what has been the most challenging time in your design career so far why was it challenging and how did you get through it um, I, I think the, the biggest challenge has been for me, not necessarily one from like a producing design standpoint, but from more of a mental health standpoint, mm-hmm. um, working in places that maybe fostered some toxic 
of, um, you know, you know, having mental health struggles where I would just like kind of leave for the day or, you know, kind of quit because I just couldn't handle it anymore. And, you know, maybe the support wasn't, wasn't necessarily there Mm -hmm. thinking that I could just quit my office job and then go work in a, in a silo and work as a freelancer by myself, um, for, for years and thinking that that was like better, um, which it was definitely not. I think those, those were the the main challenges. I think like in, in a certain degree, anyone who is relying on their ego or creativity to, to make a living is going to have these sort of challenges where you're looking for validation or, uh, you're feeling like an imposter or all the spectrum in between. So I think, um, it's just trying to, and I think that's why Mark and I came together because we had, um, we were trying to set boundaries in a way that when we advance in our careers, we're not going to be fighting burnout we're going to be there supporting each other and uh, kind of being aware. So um, in terms of how we, how I dealt with it, just a bunch of like rapid quitting um, and then <laughs> with the res- resolution of uh, therapy. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we're both a uh, pro therapy over here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We all should be. <laughs> <laughs> so Mark, I'll kick this over to you now. What's been the most challenging time in your career so far? Why and how did you get through it? Um, I mean, my experience apart from the agency stuff, it, it mirrors Morgan's for, you know, in large part, I, uh, you know, I was freelancing for a long time and in, you know, you could in freelancing, you know, go to community events and like talk about all the things that you're going through, or you could just like isolate yourself. And I (laughs) definitely sort of swayed more towards isolating myself. So I was, you know, um, as like a people pleaser, I was having a really hard time saying no to clients. Um, I wasn't setting boundaries with them. I was working at all hours. Um, texting. Yeah, texting. Texting clients. At wait. 9 a.m. <laughs> 9 a.m. at night. Um, but yeah, I, I was just, I was going through all that. I was burning out and I was like, uh, instead of talking with other designers about it and, and uh, c- coming to see that it's a really common thing, I just like, just like, oh, like, I can't do this, you know, placing it on myself. I can't do this. Like feeling like an imposter, you know, getting intense anxiety about it. Um, and Morgan, Morgan is actually like one of the first designers where I openly sort of, where I started talking about like, uh, the effect of design and all of these things on my mental health started Mm -hmm. talking, you know, anxiety or when I was feeling shitty or, um, and then, yeah. And then I started going to therapy, (laughs) but, uh, um, yeah, it was and just all like, better. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think, you know, I do think that a lot of people who freelance, um, whether they admit it or, or not, um, there, there's, there's probably some social anxiety there. There's a reason that they don't want to work around other people or in, in office spaces. And that, uh, you know, it took me a long time to realize that that definitely was a factor in, in, in freelancing. Mm-hmm. I could, like I could uh, hide and like you know mm-hmm. keep my social anxiety at bay, and then I at some point I just had to deal with it. And mm-hmm. yeah, so in, we, in some sense, being freelance was more comfortable, but in another sense, it sort of created bad habits that were harder to get out of. Yeah, totally, it was like when when we got together and uh, and Mark was like, "Hey, let's move into this space," and I was like. having sleepless nights about leaving my house when it really wasn't a big deal in the long run. Mm -hmm. Like it ended up being better for me 
than what I thought, which was that it was kind of be the end of like the comfort zone that I was in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you know, a, a client thing would pop up as a freelancer and you would just like sit and like spin your tires on it all day. Um, or if you're sitting across from someone, maybe you just like mention how you're feeling and then you just talk it out, it takes two minutes and you realize it's not actually that big of a deal and you can move on with things, but you just keep cruising. Yeah. You spend a lot of time in your head as a freelancer. Mm -hmm. I can see that <laughs> when, when I do, um, go into the office, uh, I'm about an hour and 15 minute drive to get wow. to where the office is, which is killer. Yeah. But you know, it, you sort of, get comfortable in this like little cocoon of a car and then you get to the office and you're like, am I ready to go talk to people? Like I've just been by myself for so long. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, really forcing yourself to get up and get out of the car, <laughs> get into the yeah. office. Yeah. It, and it's just a short time. I can imagine that being at home, you know, working by yourself all day, um, you know, how that could be even harder to push yourself to get out and to, get rid of or to face that uncomfortable feeling mm -hmm. and i mean i think a lot of people listen to podcasts which gives you a false sense of uh social uh, mm -hmm. social structures that uh yeah once you start talking to actual people you realize you have to respond yeah. <laughs> except with the quickie podcast that one is the most warm and good feeling show i've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> um i want to get a little bit more specific now guys i want to ask you know, tell me about a specific project or design that you were a part of that did not go well or bring the desired result. What was that like? How did that feel? Can you take us to that story? Uh, how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> about, about an hour and 20 minutes. Oh, it's a longie. Okay. Uh, so we, beginning of the year coming together, we were like, had kind of cut some ties with former with previous clients and we're looking to sort of start new things. Um, and we're feeling a little bit hungry. Uh, so we went uh, and sort of went down this path of, of finding a client that we may have it sort of ignored uh, some sort of classic red flags mm -hmm. uh, for the sake of just trying to get some work through the door. Um, so that was mistake number one. Um, and I think sort of some of the red flags was like we gave them a scope of work and that involved a brand, a brand execute, a uh, brand, um, design and then they're the follow the execution so like all the scope of work was like okay website business cards um, tote bags you know that kind of thing and uh, they they said like hey we only want to pay for the brand design and then we'll talk about scope after we finish the brand design and then we started going down there and then they said they don't need a website they don't need business cards so all of a sudden we were like designing this weird brand in a vacuum of not being able to like execute it <laughs> <laughs> Um, which was like a really strange environment. They didn't want to pay. They had gotten someone, a third party person to do the website, which was across the country and they wouldn't let us talk to them. So when they would ask for assets for the website, they're like, Hey, we need an image, um, that looks like this. And we're like, well, what's around the image? And they're like, we don't know yet. So we were like, there was like <laughs> this huge vacuum. Weird. It's very bizarre. And so we would, we'd create an image asset for them. And they'd be like, well, this isn't work. We is, they're like, is this, uh, they like asking questions like, is this what, cool people like or yeah you know they were like you know questions like that that they were really backtracking on on what they wanted so and every time they asked us for something I felt like it was the last thing they were going to ask us for like okay well just one more image and then we'll be done we can like clean this up we can get this off our books mm -hmm. um eventually we did produce some 
pieces for them, really small pieces. They have like an extensive brand guidelines, but nothing in the brand guidelines in terms of execution. Um, and then there was about two months of radio silence where we were just trying to get some information from them. And then we didn't hear anything back from them. And then we heard from, we got an email from another designer asking for all the assets. <laughs> so, so we got fired via another designer because we had, it was like we had not even heard, but we kind of assumed that that's what was happening. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so, you know, we felt just like an in, uh, intense sense of relief, to be honest. It wasn't disappointment. It didn't feel uh, mm. negative in any way. Yeah. We were just like, oof. It wasn't a good match. It wasn't a good match. And uh, it was a bit of a, a roller coaster, though. It was, yeah. It was kind of comical. Yeah. Yeah. So and we, yeah, go ahead. We were, uh, what was that company? There was like an, a New York design agency that that folded a few years ago and they released like all of their information do you remember the name of that company Mm-mm. it was like a design firm that folded and they when they did they released all of their financials all of their pitches how they operated and right before they folded in this spreadsheet there was a a line item that was like a silicone it just said like silicon valley client huge sum of money short term turnaround and then in notes it said something like excruciating project that sank the ship and we folded the whole shit and I was like this is totally going to be that project for us (laughs) it was it was was pretty painful it was like four months into our our business yeah so I think uh I think we're we're not that hungry anymore and if we were we would probably just uh stay hungry for a little bit longer. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So what was the lesson in that then? Was that just sort of a, an early refresher as a duo to not dodge the red flags? Yeah. Not dodge the red flags. And I think just like be more, be more assertive and like, Hey, we really need to be introduced to this web design company. Mm-hmm. I love it. You know? Yeah. A good analogy. Um, yeah, you never. I think if, just be more. If someone scratches your the, the execution of your brand down to like two items, it's not going to be a brand. Yeah. 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 It doesn't sound like it would be. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. I'm going to turn this boat around here, and I want to hear about a project that you've been a part of that you are the most proud of. One that just makes your heart sing. I think it's. Maybe the same project, the one that failed. <laughs> uh, our first, yeah, our first brewery project, eighty-eight Brewing Company. Uh, it, it was, I mean, it's it'll always hold a very special place in our hearts because it's the project that we came together on as freelancers, mm-hmm. and they were just really trusting. They we still are. Yeah, they they were they were trusting. They allowed us to you know spend that extra money and do those Pantone foil die cut labels um yeah the whole like fame fortune fun triangle thing yeah it kind of is the rare project that i that that hit them all (laughs) the clients that have the ability to just like drink and taste beer all day seem to be the best clients to work with yeah you're not wrong yeah (laughs) we've done two breweries now and both have just been like incredibly trusting and easygoing and Mm -hmm. and respectful so it's uh yeah i would imagine the same with distilleries they must be great <laughs> but to find out <laughs> <laughs> there you go that's awesome to hear and that was the brewery that you did the original sort of pantone and die cut labels for that's right yeah 88 yeah. brewing company awesome very cool well 
Guys, you've reached the point of the show for the ask it forward question. Okay. That is where I have a question for you from my last guest and you get the opportunity to ask a question of my next guest. I'm not going to tell you who they are, but you can ask them anything. Mm-hmm. So my last guest was John Cut from High Road Design out of Kitchener, Ontario. And he wanted to ask, have you ever not purchased something that you thought you wanted, but didn't buy it due to packaging or product design? Of course. Oh, yes. <laughs> what and why? Oh, we forgot to talk about our our hatred of capitalism. That was a, that was a major talking point in our. Oh jeez. Yeah. No. <laughs> what did we not? What did we not buy? We just we just outfitted a studio, our new studio. So I'm sure there's a lot of things we just couldn't. So yeah, like what did you have in your mind or see online? Like, oh yeah, I want to get that. And then when you got to Best Buy or wherever to pick it up, we're like, ooh. On second thought, I can't. Nothing is coming to mind, but it hap- It just happens all the time. I'm sure. Um, I mean, you you've been looking at um, a lot of baby stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of bad, uh, like, kid stuff, baby stuff. Like the it's all it's the design and the copywriting i don't i like if i pick up something i'm like this is cool and then it's like for your special bundle of joy i'm just like nope (laughs) (laughs) and i would say like i would say i I can only drink a beer that has like a a a halfway decent label if there's some that are bad i just i just can't do it i just i just can't drink the beer it has to be like at least partially good Mm -hmm. so i'm not gonna name names start a flame war yeah it definitely happens a lot in the food, um, the food arena. Mm-hmm. You know, you pick up a a jar. Like we make these like judgments all the time when you pick up an item and you immediately in your brain you're like, okay, I would pay X number of dollars for this. And you pick up like an artisan hot sauce and it's like thirteen dollars. And then you look at the label and you're like, there's a disconnect here. Nope. Yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I hear you there. Yeah. So it's happening I, all the time. Yeah. And I mean, I buy stuff that's like, that has what I would say not successful packaging um, all the time. But it's generally like, it's, I think it's the disconnect between the design and the price point where I don't buy things. That is like, I, I couldn't have said it better. That's so true. It's almost the analogy of imagine your thousand dollar iPhone came in a corrugated box with a label on top <laughs> and you open it up and it was in there just sort of wrapped in bubble wrap. <laughs> like it sort of kills your customer experience. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, there. if it was a $50 iPhone, I'd be like, yeah, cool. Of course you expect it, right? It's like I bought my kids, uh, I have three kids, and I bought them the Amazon Fire tablet for a recent vacation. I'm like, I don't want car fights. Uh, Let's get some tablets. Right now for this trip, I'm all for screen time. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they were like 50 bucks a piece, super cheap. You're like, I'm not going to buy them freaking iPads. So I bought them $50 tablets. And they arrived in an okay kind of box, but like you shake the box and it's just loose in the box. (laughs) 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 All right, (laughs) that's what 50 bucks gets you. But then like I have an iPad and you, you know, the Apple customer packaging experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like those seem to align with one another. That mm-hmm. new Mac smell. Mm. Yeah. That candle that we have running in the studio. Okay. Yeah. Is there seriously a new Mac smell candle? <laughs> if there was, that'd be amazing. 
coming down the line, 2020. Yeah, yeah. The old Banff Candle Studio. Yeah. <laughs> there is there's one thing that we we sort of noted to talk about. Do we have more, do we have time? To yeah. Talk about yeah. Else? Yeah. The next the last point is your ask it forward question. So what do you um what did you want to throw in before that? I can't remember what question it um uh, it was sort of directed towards, but. Or I think it's what's what's one of our current biggest struggles was maybe yeah. in, in oh, your right. list of questions. Yes, or? yeah. So uh, just uh, sorry, I skipped over that one. But um, uh, yeah, the question was, what is something that you're struggling with in your design career right now? Yeah, and I think it's interesting to talk about, important to talk about because a lot of designers I feel are going through this, and I'm curious um, if who talks about this on your show. But um, we're definitely at a. T- I feel like we've reached like peak plastic, you know, and stuff like that, non recyclable stuff. And as designers, we're just like making stuff. We're producing things, objects that, um, you know, some of them aren't so great for, for the environment in the world. Um, and it's like, when do you hit that point in your career where you're, you're, you know, you're successful or privileged enough to say no or assert those boundaries with clients where you can say like, yeah, we'll take this on, but only if you consider this packaging option because we don't want to make more plastic bags, you know? Um, Interesting. And we we struggle with that a lot, um, um, and we are. I think we're slowly getting to a point where we can, you know, we can turn down a really cool job if they don't want to get on board with stuff like that. Like we're reaching a point where we can assert our personal values and and exercise those as a company. Mm-hmm. But it's it's really hard as a young creative. As, as you know, mm-hmm. you need the jobs. You're afraid of of mm-hmm. you know outlining those things with your clients because they'll just go to somebody else. And I think you said it well when you said as a young creative, because definitely it has not come up in conversation with any of the young designers on or off the show that I've talked to. Hmm. But when I have interviewed designers with more experience under their belt, um, they tell stories about turning away clients and turning away work based on political values versus, you know, their, their feelings on gun violence. They won't do work with retailers who sell guns or weapons and things like that, like all sorts of different things like that. And environmental definitely slides into that as well, but Mm -hmm. you're right. That's like, that's a hard spot to get to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that keeps me up at night. That's the thing that stresses me out the most right now in our, in my career, in our career, I think is that, yeah, it's just like, what? No, you don't like, you know, we order X from one company and they're like, Oh great. Can we print, you know, all these things and put it in a bag and blah, blah, blah. And all the stuff where you're like, okay, you buy this product and then you're going to throw away three different things Mm -hmm. just to get the product. Like how do, how do you uh, communicate that to a client in like a, in a constructive way? They're like, you don't need these things. (laughs) Do you find that clients are more and more coming to their own conclusions and, and sort of leading that conversation on, you know what, let's try and avoid some plastic. How can we eliminate waste on this and approaching it that way? Or do you find they're still looking to, you know, use as much stuff as possible? Depends on the client. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I, I've, I've found that the more, more and more clients are looking for ways to have their company, be more environmentally conscious and mm-hmm. most common what i've seen is in the packaging space any product that sits in a paperboard box but a plastic tray inside that paperboard box that plastic tray has been being replaced with a paperboard tray which requires a little bit more hand assembly quite a bit of engineering in the paperboard and structural side but it eliminates the plastic piece mm-hmm. 
We've all had those moments where we've produced something and then found it smashed in the gutter. So <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we designed some some cups for. Uh, First time I saw them was smushed into the sidewalk, like two blocks from my house. No I hadn't even seen them on the shelf, in, like new in someone's hand. It was like, oh, uh, I guess our cups were delivered, Morgan. And just like took a photo <laughs> of it, just smushed into the sidewalk. And it was just, oh, like, Good job. Fuck. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah, I guess we'll <laughs> ask it forward now. Okay? Yeah. yeah. So, we'll wrap back around to your ask it forward question. Uh, our question is What's your fantasy backup career? Ooh. I like it. Do we have? <laughs> do we do, do we have that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to ask that question to the next guest. Yeah. Cool. I want to hear it. Great, guys. You've reached the end of the Quickie Podcast. Thank you so much for your time and being on the show today. Yeah. Thanks for reaching out. We appreciate thanks. it. All right. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode, everybody. I really appreciate your time. Now, Morgan and Mark brought up something really interesting there. Uh, an interesting question, sort of near the end of the episode, where. Uh, was basically, you know, at what point or at what skill or experience level or what stage can you as a designer sort of instill some of your values into a project, you know, agree to take on certain work if the customer makes, you know, some some ethical choice related to that project or something like that. Um, I'm interested to hear your feedback on that. So hit up the old Instagram DMs. Uh, I'll also post about this on Instagram uh, to sort of create a little conversation about it. I'm, I'm interested to hear your feedback. So thanks for listening and see you on Instagram or catch you on the IG. I think that's what the kids say these days. Bye. <laughs>